So welcome, everyone, to another episode of Compressed FM, a podcast all about web development and design. And in this episode, we're going to talk about like the full API lifecycle, specifically with Treble, with our guests. And I'm super excited about to kind of learn all the different features and things that it adds for people that are building API. So we'll get into that in the episode. Web development and design, who would have guessed? Well, we can do them both, even add a little zest. So turn up the volume, get ready for the best. Let's get it started in this episode of Compressed. What's up, everyone? My name is James Hewquick, and I am a full-time technical content creator. And we are sponsored today by Daily Dev, which is an extension that Amy and I both use. It's absolutely incredible. It's an extension that will, every time you open a new page in your browser, will show you a list of curated uh, blog articles and or videos that you can upvote and go and watch and read. And it's one of my like go-to ways to stay on top of latest and greatest trends in the industry. So daily.dev, you can go and install the extension, configure it to show you particular interests that you have in terms of content and see new content every time you open up your browser. So go and check them out at daily.dev and thank you for sponsoring. And welcome on to Kelvin, who is our guest today. Kelvin, you've been in like you've watched streams before, you've been creating a ton of content, which I'm a big fan of, and you've been in the Discord community. So anyway, I'm excited to have you on to the show. Also Devil at Treble. And a little bit of background about me. I started programming way early because I was curious and a little bit mischievous in the sense that my dad did computer science back in the day and he had this briefcase of his old notes. For some reason, I find myself stealing into those notes and just, you know, look at old basic code. And I was fascinated by, I don't really think I knew what I was looking at at the time, but all I knew was I tell the computer to do stuff with this, what I'm seeing right now. And that got me interested. And I just kept going back to it. And I wasn't caught. Thank God. That would have been a serious whooping. But then after that i started like just googling because back in the days you don't really have like personal computers and uh, just like the way to access the internet so you go to like cyber cafe where you got to buy time and just like maybe an hour worth of internet time and you go online so i was all surfing wikipedia so, like i just love surfing the internet and just learning and reading and i thought myself python and batch so back then that i was just writing batch scripts when I find a computer to do that on, just like basic bash scripts and Python. Then I was self-taught doing that. And yeah, I then went to school. I did computer science. From there, I was introduced to Visual Basic, C++, Java, and all that. And it was really fun experience, but I had to like learn extra time to make the knowledge practical because back then it was just more theory and just like to read an exam. I really wanted to be a programmer. So yeah, I did that. I started teaching folks while I was in school. I did IT. So I've been teaching for a while. Then after that, I didn't take my result because I felt it was just paper for me. And I just left and decided I wanted to work for a company. That So I got my first job as a front-end engineer, was using Vue.js, my first ever time seeing Git. It was rocket science. I was like, what is going on here? So that was the experience. I had to learn Git and Job, learn Vue, moved on from there, did mobile apps and a bunch of other stuff before working at Fleet as Devil. Then I was laid off that job. All this while I was doing content, I'm just working with Salescast because I love the Salesforce framework. But then, of course, TKYT. Then that was where I got the job at Trouble, which I am in right now as a JavaScript engineer and also Devil. Sweet. Yeah. 
Yeah. I wish I had a cool like intro story to computer science because you mentioned like the notes in the briefcase and going through them yes. and, and kind of getting excited about it. I wish I had something like that in terms of my initial interest because I I got into college and they said, what do you want to major in? And I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I just chose computer science kind of randomly. Oh. I didn't really know what it was, but I knew I didn't want to do physics or chemistry or biomed or that sort of stuff. And uh, anyway, I chose computer science. But I think my big like, aha moment, I've talked about this before, was I saw other people building mobile apps and I was kind of curious about it. So going through the process of learning and building a mobile app kind of gave me, almost like you said, the mentality of like, hey, you write code, tell the computer to do something and it does it, but also being able to use that to like build something that other people could use. That was kind of my big aha moment, I think, as a developer. That's That's awesome. So... I want to do like really quickly before we get into trouble like mm-hmm. for content. What's the inspiration for the content that you've been creating? Why do you create it? I assume it's because you enjoy it, but what do you enjoy about creating content for other people? Yeah. So that's a really good question. So I have sort of, let's say a teacher in me because I've always loved teaching people and I like breaking complex topics into like as best as I can to make it like simple. So this was like back in school. I, like I was the guy you go to when you don't understand math and I help you with that. So I just have a knack for teaching. And when I got into web development, I just saw that, okay, I could share my knowledge and just like someone out there might find it valuable. And yeah, I did that from just articles for like years for free on Medium. So I started writing paid articles for like Smashing Maxine, Log Rocket and the other publications out there. Then uh, for YouTube, I never planned on being on camera really because it took a while to get used to. And it was mostly out of a need to record courses for sales, JS. So the time I came to the sales scene, it was almost seen as dead because there were no resources and not really good active community. It was just on Gita, which is like... It's not the best place to be, so to speak. So I decided to start a community, started doing courses. So the course for sales guys mandated me to be on camera. It was terrible the first few ones. I hated the sound of my voice. I hate it less now, but it was really terrible. So yeah, so then I decided, okay, I need to get good at this. I just like keep doing this so it, it gets more easy for me. So that's why I do YouTube mostly to just like teach people what I know or just talk about a topic. And I find that it's becoming more enjoyable by the day as I do it. I like being on camera now and just like sharing my knowledge. So mostly to teach and educate and also a little bit to document the things I'm learning. So for longevity, I could easily just go back to them because sometimes when I need to solve a problem, I do Google and something I will come up. I'll be like, yep, yes, that's the dream. (laughs) Let's go back to it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the same things for me. I never... Never thought I would be a teacher. Never thought I would be a speaker. Never thought I would do a lot of things. And then mm-hmm. I think that's what I've realized about myself as I really fell in love with teaching. I fell in love with being able to help people. And content creation is a fun outlet. There's so many things that go into it. So many like creative aspects of who you are, I mm-hmm. think, go into content while also then getting to provide value to people. So anyway, again, I just want to appreciate like the consistency with the work that you've done and the work in general. And and say that I really enjoy that content. So I'm glad yeah. glad that you're here to be able to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, thank you. And you have been inspirational. Your YouTube and your content, it's always 
pushes me to always want to do something. So thank you as well. Yeah. I'm getting ready to be on a podcast coming up soon. And we were trying to decide what the topic would be. And I mentioned content creation and teaching and all the kind of things we talked about so mm-hmm. far. And being able to use that not only to teach people, but also to inspire other people to do it too. Because that was one of the topics we were talking about is how do you get started? Well, you just get started. Don't overthink it. Like continue to do stuff and get better as you go. But I think mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know that as a possibility without seeing someone that they know that creates yeah. content. So anyway, do you want to start to talk about your role? So maybe you start to talk about your role at Treble specifically as like in Devrel, and then also maybe then back up and we'll just kind of help cover what is Treble for API lifecycle in general. Yeah, sure thing. So basically, after I've done content for a while and also like doing stuff, I add the next step for me career used to be like a dev role because I feel that was the name for what I've been doing over the years, just teaching people and building developer tools. Like I have a ton of open source tools and all that. So my role at Trouble is mostly of just that because I get to teach people about APIs. I love APIs a lot and getting to teach them about APIs and the things they don't know they need for their API, which is observability and management and it was almost eye-opening to find out that everybody do that for your like, like a website. You need like page speed or also mm-hmm. like insights, then Google Analytics and stuff. But we don't really talk about that with APIs. And you know, these days we most of the internet is built on top of APIs. Like there's this weird stat that said eighty percent of all the traffic on the internet are to APIs, and that's just insane. Yeah, like it's, it was a study done some years ago, and I was like, whoa. Yeah, so this backbone needs to also be monitored, right? So yeah, so that's what I do. I manage the community at Treble to make sure that when you're integrating Treble, it's not too much of a pain because what we give you should take you none less than three minutes to get started, whatever the project you're on. So yeah, so my job is to make sure you succeed with that. So I do YouTube videos, of course. I will write articles and also manage the documentation. And also manage the Twitter account for trouble. So everything you've seen on trouble for like the past two months I've been there. That's all me. So yeah, so that's what I do. Very cool. Christoph in the chat says, I love to work with APIs. I often create my dummy data with a quick express API. I'm learning so much Mm -hmm. doing so. Yeah. That's always a huge recommendation for people is just to continue to build stuff because that's the best way that you learn. Mm -hmm. And you kind of mentioned you're surprised that people don't necessarily think about APIs and needing those things like insights and statistics mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff that we're used to looking at with websites. Do you want to start yeah. to kind of talk a little bit more specifically about maybe like taking one piece here of insights? So what are mm-hmm. some of the things that Treble offers from an insights perspective? Yeah, sure thing. So with Treble, you have over like 40 data points of things you could see for coming to your APIs, which is like insanely Rich. So, for example, okay, so if your product is an API, and like a customer get to tell you that okay, the data I'm getting back is not what you advertise on your docs, you could easily go check the request that he made, like the actual user made at the time, and what was sent back, and what was sent to your APIs. So the two and fourth conversation, you get to see it in real time. So most times, most 
solutions. They let you test your API to see the data that come in. But this one is actual real user from wherever they are. We get to show you where the user is making the request from, what devices they are using, what version of the API they are using, the status code you send back, the headers that the request was made with, and the one you also send back, and a ton of other stuff as well. So this gives you insights in terms of debugging. And also, one cool thing is we also show how performance your API is because it's again we do that for website, but we don't really do that for APIs because you don't want your APIs to be slowing down the clients that are consuming them. So we get to show you like how fast that request was in sending back a response. And like I said, 40 data points and a bunch of them we could go through going forward. Yeah, that's really neat. I think this is probably like a good learning for me of the different details that you can add and want to see on top of your API. And I'm curious, like, what does the integration look like? Is this, does this become a package that you end up adding in your code or do you register your API endpoints like in the platform? Like, how do you actually integrate Trouble into your API? Yeah, sure thing. So that's actually part of my job at Trouble. Mm -hmm. So I work on the JavaScript SDK. So the way Trouble works is that we give you a software development kit SDK that is essentially a middleware tailored to the framework or the language you're using. So what it does, it sits on top of your API and listens for requests, then send those requests and errors as well to the Trouble dashboard. Of course, after you sign up and you set up, so we give you an API key and a project ID. So for every API you have, it's called a project. Then you have that ID and also the API key, which you send with the request, which will let us know the dashboard to send it to. So from there, anytime you receive any request to your API, both locally, production, staging, whatever, you get to see it live on your Trouble dashboard and all the insights and the data I've also talked about. Nice. So in like Node.js world, you've got NPM package that you install, you mm -hmm. then configure it, and then it's able to yeah. communicate with each request coming and going to be able to store that data inside of the yeah. Trouble platform, give you mm -hmm. discoverability with search and graphs and charts and that sort of stuff. Yes. Yes. Essentially, that's it. Very cool. Brian Morrison, who I feel like, I feel like this comment is very descriptive of the things that he's done in the past, but he said that he built an entire logging system to do exactly what was just described and that he wants to explore this more. So I kind of joke because Brian has in different times like built his own thing, maybe for a learning experience or maybe just to have mm -hmm. complete control or maybe a combination of both instead of mm -hmm. using like other tools. Like I think he was looking at building his own headless CMS at one point. Then I think he's back mm -hmm. to WordPress, but uh, it's cool that this is kind of like triggered his mind because he mm -hmm. can, I imagine, kind of recognize like the amount of work that he put in versus being able to take advantage of a service like this. And he yeah. was asking, what languages do you have SDKs for other than JavaScript? So JavaScript is probably the most relevant one, but what are some of the other languages that it has support for? Yeah, so we have over, if I'm not mistaken, 12 or more. Like it just keeps, because I strive to add more. So we have for PHP, we have for Ruby on Rails. For .NET, of course, we have for Go, we have for Python. Like most of all the big languages and frameworks out there is all covered and it's also in our docs. So docs, so that'll be docs.trouble.com slash integrations. You yeah. get to find all that in there. Yeah, so I would maybe give it to you, then you get to see it. So yeah, so we have PHP, Laravel.net, .NET Core, Go, Lumen. I think that's also PHP. 
then Symphony, Ruby, Node. Then we also have for Strapi, mm-hmm. then Java, Python, Adonis.js, then Express, and also Cloudflare workers. So I'll put a link in the chat for the mm-hmm. Node integration. And on that yeah. page has Express, Koa, mm-hmm. Strapi, and yeah. Cloudflare workers. So it's got support for a lot of different stuff. And yeah. Brian commented that when he built this himself, it was for a job, but mm-hmm. also that he does kind of build stuff from scratch sometimes out of enjoyment or maybe learning opportunity. Yeah, sure thing. So you have the visibility of like API requests coming in and mm-hmm. the responses going out. So you can go back and search for the specific user that made the request, maybe search for requests at a certain time period, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, does this give you any sort of like documentation as well? Like, does it do any looking at the API endpoints that you have and then kind of creating the documentation page that other people can go and look at to see, here's an example of what a request to this endpoint would look like? Mm, Yeah, it's it's actually good to actually put this up because this is another area where we shine. So we don't want you to write your documentation by hand because they quickly go outdated because you're a fast team, you're moving, you're adding your endpoints, you're changing the shape of the data being sent. So what Treble does is that once you've integrated, we will make a open API compatible documentation for you that's available on your dashboard and is open to everyone on the internet, which you could share to folks. And that will show the endpoints. So we'll detect all the endpoints for you and you get to see them just like you would see like on Swagger. So yeah, you get to see that in there. And also, a cool thing is that on the dashboard is once you have a request, if someone is looking at that request, there's also a documentation tab that will show the data being sent, but not the data and the value, but the data and the type that the field is expecting to send back. So if you're a front-end dev, you already know, okay, this is going to bring back a string. So I know how to tailor for that. And this will be normal, this will be Boolean. So we just detect that for you on the go, on the fly, without you doing anything. And you just have both the full API docs and also doc for every request. Cool. Yeah. Love that. I feel like like the Swagger documentation became such a big thing when it first came out. Like I remember seeing that for the first time and thinking, wow, that's so yeah. nice for API developers. And you may have had to configure it at that point on your own, but to have the documentation where people can see, like, here's all the API endpoints that I can call. Here's the methods that they accept. Here's the inputs that they accept. And here's the output that you can expect to get back. But still a really good point on your end of, like, our code APIs change a lot. And keeping up with the documentation is not yeah. an easy thing to do. So to have the tool go and kind of crawl that on a consistent basis to know, like, here's all of them as you add or subtract and change. Here's all of them and yeah. add the documentation is a huge feature. Yeah, and we also version your APIs changed by timestamp. So you could go back in time and see what it looked like, mm-hmm. even though you're making changes. So sort of like uh, version control for your API endpoints. You get to see the history of that API as it's changed. Just for like maybe, I don't know, oh. just insights. Yeah, so you could get like to go back in time and see, okay, this is what's being sent. This is what is sending now. Yeah, okay, interesting. I didn't know that. So going back in time... Is there a way that I can version my API to like a V1 versus V2? And I don't know if that's, is that my responsibility for that to be like in the URL? So it'll be my website slash API slash V1 or V2, so-and-so, mm-hmm. so-and-so. Does it have like versioning like that? Or is that just something that would be my responsibility in the URL? 
Yeah, so normally it's you have to like add the V1 or the V2, but where we shine in that is that we automatically detect and group those endpoints. So if we see a V1 endpoint, there will be like a V1 group where you could just see all your endpoints in V1 on your dashboard and also the same thing for V2. So all you're concerned about is just your code or true. So the way you write our version, your APIs is the same way. So we smartly look at the URL and pick out, okay, this is V1's endpoints. So make that just V1's and this is V2 and so on and so forth. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I see on like one of the pages, there's the idea of the API score and the API score lists three categories of performance, security, and quality. And Mm -hmm. performance probably makes the most sense. Like how quickly does the API actually respond with the appropriate results to the user? But how do you factor in the security part of that? Like what sort of things go into play with security rating? Yeah, sure thing. So if you're going to take anything from this, like the quickest way to do securities on your API is to make sure you're serving them over HTTPS and not just HTTP. Like that's Mm -hmm. like, so basic, right? So that's like secured, encrypted connection. And also you're using not HTTP one, but two or three. Right, so I think most hosting provider provides that by default. So Cloudflare definitely should do two or three because, of course, they are big on security and HTTP and stuff. So the API score, uh, we set of have these constraints of because the founder of Trouble has been building APIs for like very very long time. So there are these constraints for best practices for REST APIs, and we check your sending back JSON, and we also check that your API is authenticated. So Either you're using like an API token or you're like a BR token or whatever mechanism you're using will detect that. And if you're not, we'll tend to warn you by giving you a post score. Then you could see why you have the post score and how to improve on it. So there's um, security, performance, and quality because we don't just want you to just like be able to see your your data or your requests or insights. We want you to be able to take actions based on those insights. So that's why we came up with the API score to like, this is where you are you are short on your API. This is how to improve them. So they are all actionable that you could do like right away and improve your API score. And we find that folks, it's just like this stuff where we don't want to see like a poor score and they'll be like, okay, how can I improve it? I'll say, yeah, just do this and do that and your score is going to be very, very much better. Cool. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I'm posting a link to the analytics and you mentioned earlier, I think you mentioned like 40 different data points, mm-hmm. but on the features page for API analytics on Treble, there's mm-hmm. a picture of a dashboard and it shows really, really cool information. Things like yeah. the top devices, so iOS versus desktop versus Android, etc. Countries, mm-hmm. you can look at like amount of requests per day. And I imagine mm-hmm. that sort of insight especially as you start to scale up a product, gets really, really informative because then you can start making informed decisions on your code base or performance improvements based on a lot of those metrics that they give you access to. Yeah, it does. And this recently shipped in our last launch. And it's something I really love because if you know the, like normally if you're doing this in-house, you're going to write a bunch of SQL to do Mm -hmm. this, right? But all we're giving you widgets, so we call them widgets. So once you just click on it, you get to see the cards on your dashboard immediately and it's drag and droppable. You could reorder them and you could 
remove them. And like you said, the informations are just amazing to see and the workload you have to do, like there's no work there. You just click on it and you have it. And you have these insights that you could base off. Okay, you can see, okay, I have more usage on iOS. Maybe we need to make that better. Or desktop is failing too much. How can we improve all that? So this is actionable, not just to developers, but also like management making choices on their roadmap or what to do next. You get to like see how to like, to do that from just your treble dashboard. So it's something I love so much of how like, because we are also builders and shippers of APIs. So we know the needs of APIs and also our customers also tell us that, okay, this is what they want. And we tend to have those knowledge and also from the people using treble, I tend to build stuff that it's really cool that anyone can just easily get started and just get actionable insights. So the key word there is actionable. Like we just don't want you to have the insight, but like how to take actions or decisions based off the insights. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Another aspect of this is kind of the team aspect. So there's like features around supporting teams working on working on APIs. Do you want to talk a little bit about like what are the kind of the team integration points with Treble? Yeah, sure thing. So once, so let's say you are a startup, you make a project on Treble, you could invite your team. So this is just like on GitHub where you could be invited to a repo. So that's just it essentially. And when you have that, you have access to the API, you'll be able to like see the request and also like, so you could also chat in there and comment on like an endpoint. That's okay. Maybe something is wrong with this endpoint. You could just like flag it and do that. And also we have something called flows, which is good for integration teams. So maybe in your company, there are like two teams to cover the back end and the front end. And there's a specific flow to achieve something. So maybe like, let's say like login, you have to visit like the register endpoint. Then it sends you like a token, which you have to put back after you get your emails. So we could group those endpoints into a flow and share a URL with the front end team. Then they can have that and see the request to make step-by-step in order to do that for their app. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's really blew my mind when we saw that. And also, you could also, like I said, flagging issues. So we have problems. So the problems could be in your code. Let's say your APIs were really fast for like a week, and the other week is becoming slow. We flag that as a problem, then send to your email on file and also notify you on the app itself, which is the trouble dashboard as well as the mobile app. If you have it, then you could send it to like GitHub or Trello as a ticket, which your team can check on to see what the issue is. I feel like having you, we haven't even talked about like a native app, but I feel like that's a (laughs) very, very useful thing because Mm -hmm. I feel like so many different, tools or hosting platforms in this area don't have native apps. So sometimes you just want to be able to like quickly check something, check it on the phone. Like probably if you want to do anything more, you'd go back to the desktop application Mm -hmm. or like the browser application, but really nice to have a mobile app that you can just go and check quickly. Yeah, definitely for sure. So we like, if you're not on your laptop, I want you to be able to like, see if there's something wrong with your API and you could respond quickly so if you're on the go, we could ping you, send you like a push notification. Something is wrong. So maybe you could like 
hit a teammate to like go check it out. But like we just want you to be aware of what is happening with your API so you stay on top of it. Yeah, and there was to your point about mm-hmm. notifying and stuff. Mm-hmm. There also was like comments back and forth, so people could leave a yeah. comment, say, "Hey, so and so, can you go and check this out, etc." So mm-hmm. it seems like it's got like really nice integration tools for a team, mm-hmm. but also just from individual developer of building and then inspecting an API. It yeah. seems like it's got a lot of stuff built in. Yes, it does. Really, I'm gonna move us in a different direction which is something that made me happy. So in your comments, filling out the link to do the episode, we have a question about a soapbox title. Is there any particular topic that you're excited about and passionate about? And one of the things you mentioned was shipping less JavaScript. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that means to you? Yeah, for sure. I actually became more aware of the responsibility we have with this awesome tool called JavaScript because with great power comes great responsibility, says Uncle Ben. And it's the case for JavaScript because you know we could do this awesome stuff and the line becomes blurry for what should run on the server or on what should run on the client. Some people just want to run everything on the client. Others don't want to run nothing on the client. And it's a tricky choice to make. And the truth is, the more JavaScript you have on the client, the less performance your app will be if you are not careful with it. And that's why we see newer tools trying to tell you, okay, you have to do SSL. We have to partial hydrate this part. We have to do this because the startup time for JavaScript and the frameworks is costly because what happens, for example, in hydration is you run the code on the server, you ship it as HTML. Then once it gets to the client, the runtime of the framework needs to start up again. That's JavaScript, right? And you now have to bind event listeners to all those points that do all your interaction and stuff. All this stuff makes websites that then you get to see a website where it's like a almost forever loading spinner. Mm-hmm. And it's because of things like this. Or the website is loaded, but you can't click on the link to even navigate because why they're using client-side routing. And it's so heavy there's this like one second wait. I will know one second is like forever when it comes to apps and just interacting. So we need to think the things I'm doing, do I really need JavaScript for that? Like in my talks, what I've always said is that I don't think your marketing website has any business being an SPA because it's a marketing website. There is no need for JavaScript. The browser knows how to navigate. That's what it does best. So let it do it. Instead of the history API and all these weird hacks that some back button doesn't even work no more because it's just a ball of too much stuff going on that is all JavaScript that doesn't need to be. And I feel that except your application is a true application, like the Gmail and all these app like Escalidro that needs interactivity 100%. If you could like shave, shave off JavaScript, please do it. And your users will thank you for it because they are on this low budget phone and they're trying to visit your website and you have all this killer animation that they can't see because it's janky because you don't really think about like the effect that JavaScript is having for them. So yeah, so I always advocate ship as minimal JavaScript as possible. Write everything in JavaScript, of course, by all means, but ship as little as possible to the user. Yeah, I think that's a... (laughs) A typical trend that mm-hmm. we're seeing. I actually have a video mm-hmm. coming out tomorrow. By the time this is nice. on the podcast, people can go and watch the video. But it's it's mm-hmm. about trends in JavaScript in 2023. And the first one I have is 
we will write less JavaScript, and that's for various <laughs> different reasons. And then the other thing is we will ship less JavaScript to the browser for all the reasons that you just said. And yeah, we both, I think, are fans of Astro. So I think you migrated your mm-hmm. personal site to Astro. I made yeah. I migrated mine to Astro. I'm also going through a complete redesign of my site for like the third time, which is fun. But yeah, yeah. definitely a big believer in the less JavaScript that we mm-hmm. have to have on the browser, the better. But it yeah. also has made, I think, the web development ecosystem more and more complicated as we've realized better ways mm-hmm. to do things. Because people are used it's to single-page applications and doing everything on the front end. Now we have to understand other different ways we have for rendering pages with static pages, server-side rendering, other mm-hmm. more detailed options. Not only understanding yeah. them, but understanding them to the point where we can make educated decisions about which which strategy to use that's going to work out best for the specific scenario. So anyway, I think it's a fun time, but I agree with you. The We will continue to see less and less JavaScript shipped to the browser, I think. Yes, we should. And that's why the thing Astro does, it's brilliant. Because I think one of the drawbacks with fully server-side rendered apps is like you want the feel of the workflow, the tooling for SPH, which is made popular by React, Vue, and Svelte. But what Astro does is like you, you have the same feel, this modern way of building stuff. But at the end of the day, we're just going to build and ship HTML for you with no JavaScript by default. And that is what like a bunch of sites out there need. But if you do need JavaScript, no problem. We got you. We're going to give you islands. right? Yeah. So you tell us when you want these islands or this part of your app to be interactive so maybe on idle time or on visible and all that so we don't load the javascript because again there are two costs to javascript which is the startup time and also the time to interaction so astro will delay if you have javascript on your page it's going to delay when it startup so it doesn't block the request so everything is going to be on your page after it's going to run fine so when you like you see that button, that's when it becomes active and becomes clickable, and which makes a whole lot of sense. And we have like things like Marco that's eat, like I had a TKYT session with Dylan for Marco, and it's so crazy that eBay has seen this for so long. Like we are just catching up, and they've been shipping eBay with something called Marco, and it just takes the whole thought pattern like. You don't need to think which one should run on the server, which one should run on the client. Marco will tell you that, okay, when I see that there's a click on here, I'm going to render it on the client. So you don't need to listen for anything. It's by default to ship HTML first, then it will start bringing the JavaScript when it sees that it needs it, which is amazing. So the same thing with Quick, with resumable web apps, it's just a fun time to build on the web because you have all these people pushing for performance, which of course is the time where we are advocating for the users and not just the developers. So the users are going to love us for it. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, hopefully um, yeah, again. I mentioned redoing my site for the third time <laughs> and I got some <laughs> comments saying that those were rookie numbers that, that we all redesign <laughs> our sites all the time. There were, there oh, were a couple no. questions. I know, it's sad. <laughs> Uh, there was a couple <laughs> questions about trouble that I wanted to make sure we got answered. So okay. Guillaume asked, how hard is the integration of your tool? So we kind of talked about this earlier, but it's an SDK mm-hmm. that like you write your code the way you're used to, then you kind of add on the SDK and it'll take care of it from there. And mm-hmm. then Brian Morrison was asking, what about for teams that want the analytics in their own systems? 
Can Treble forward that analytics data to any other platform? So do you have any way to like offload mm-hmm. the analytics from Treble to another platform that people may use for existing setups that they have? Yeah, so not currently, but it's actively in development where we want you to be able to like not just use the Treble dashboard. You could want to render that in your own like maybe SPA or your own admin part. We're going to give you like APIs for you to do that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yep, that makes sense. Another question from Zam. Does Treble add any overhead to the API calls? And I would think there has mm-hmm. to be a little bit, right? Because it has to communicate with the Treble backend. But yeah. yeah, can you talk a little bit about like overhead that it adds to the endpoint calls? Yeah, sure thing. That was my first thought when I saw Treble before I started working on Treble. was like, whoa, I do not want anything to add another latency to what's... It's already going on in here. And when I started being in charge of the JavaScript SDK, that was the first thing I got into. Like, we must add as little as possible latency. And of course, there are techniques to do this. And all the SDKs are open source. So you could go check that out. So for one is that Treble doesn't care to get... So we'll make sure that the SDK does not care to get a response back from Treble. So we don't block the request. Yeah. So and one way to block a request is when you use a wait. So most people don't know in JavaScript, if you use a wait, there is going to be latency. You're blocking when you use a wait because you're waiting for that asynchronous call. So go back to go and get back like something, like maybe make a fetch and use a wait. There is latency in there. So one way to remove the latency for stuff you don't care about is not use a wait. Just make the promise and you don't care about the result. So I make sure that all these practices is in there to make sure it's performant. So the latency is not that much. You could, of course, profile it. We use it at Treble, like we use Treble at Treble. And also use it for my projects, like the sysgas.com website, the API part of it. And some other folks also use it for other ecosystem and there's not there's no much latency. And I always do research on making it as more performant as possible. I come up with new ways to make sure that it's as close to minimal as possible. That's a great yeah. answer. Yeah, this is mm-hmm. actually, I will have a video coming about not necessarily asynchronous code in JavaScript, but mm-hmm. asynchronous architecture where you basically say mm-hmm. like, hey, go and do something, but I don't need to wait for you to get done for me to continue on yeah. and consider that thing mm-hmm. to be done. So in this case, the there is the chance that the call to trouble fails for some reason mm-hmm. and you lose a log every once in a while or something. Yeah but you gain the mm-hmm. benefit of not having to wait for that response to come back before being able to progress through the code. So that's a great call yeah. out there. And there was one more question that I need to come back to before we move on to picks and plugs. Actually, no, that was it. I think that was all of them. So there was integration and there was overhead and mm-hmm. there was the outsourcing of data to other platforms, mm-hmm. which you said isn't available yeah. there now. Um, anyway, I think yeah. that's great. That's really awesome. Do you, you want to move into our picks and plugs section? Yeah, sure. Let's go for it. Cool. So for everybody that's watching or listening, picks are things that you've just enjoyed. It could be something that you've watched, something that you listened to, something that you bought, etc. And then a plug is anything that you want to share, either for yourself or a community that you want to shout out or anything like that. But Kelvin, do you have a pick and a plug to share? Yeah, sure thing. So I'm a bookworm. I love to read. And I'll pick two books. One is on something we just talked about, which is less JavaScript, is the book by Jeremy Wagner, Responsible JavaScript. This one 
it's so detailed on the practices on how to like ship less JavaScript. So I would recommend that. So that's a pick for me. And also for full building companies or just want to do like you have a company, but you're not like thinking of going Facebook size or Google size. You just want to be profitable and just be peaceful. I would recommend the company of one by Paul Jarvis. The I think it's one of the founders of Fathom. Analytics, this book, super great. I've been reading like two chapters every day. And every time I just get my mind blown at the knowledge in there. Of like Most people just want to grow outrageously big too soon. And you might find out that what you really need is just to be profitable for your business, like get revenue as opposed to like getting VC funding, which there's nothing bad with VC funding. But of course, there's nothing bad with having revenue that you are good with. Yeah, so those are my... Pigs. Yeah, that's mostly it. I saw guys, there's nothing fun than just books for me most of the time. Nothing, nothing wrong with books. I need to invest yeah. in one of these JavaScript books. People have recommended a few that I just haven't used. So maybe one day I will. And do you have a blog that you want to share too? Yeah. So it's called the Syscast Community. I normally it was for like sales chairs, but last year I opened it up to like JavaScript. So anyone doing JavaScript on the internet, mostly for newbies, but they also experience dev in there for you to just come and we learn JavaScript together. We also planning like a JavaScript book reading club where we just read for like 30 minutes a JavaScript book because mm-hmm. I've heard people hate documentations because they don't really know how to read it and it's complex. They prefer videos, but a lot covered in docs. So we're just going to do all those activities. We do weekly workshops where we like talk on something about JavaScript. So if you want to, like if you're learning JavaScript or you are working with JavaScript, it's a fun place to come hang out. Cool. Love yeah. that. Uh, for my pick, mm-hmm. Guillaume, who maybe is still in the chat, will appreciate this. So I've been studying okay. French for oh. uh, almost a year now, which has been a lot of fun. And my wife and I are going to Montreal in a couple of weeks where I will get to speak French there. So anyway, wow. for Christmas, she got me a few like kids' books. Oh, okay. In French. Yeah. Really like it. okay. Yeah. But anyway, I wanted like something, a book. Like I wasn't ready to read like a big book yet. So I needed like a kid friendly book with pictures and stuff. So this is one of them. She got me like three or four. So it's just kind of a cool way, like in addition to the apps and stuff that I use to practice, a cool mm-hmm. way for me to continue to practice. So I guess n- not a specific book to reference for people, but just like if you're interested in languages. Try to find okay. a um, kid's book that you could read that's on your level of language that you understand. So anyway, I thought that was cool. And then for my plug, I am going to plug what will be, it's not yet, the newly redesigned version of my website at jamesqquick.com. So if you listen to this on the podcast, it's probably out by now. So you can go and check it out. If people are watching the video now, it may not be out. But Amy did the redesign and I'm now starting to incorporate that into my Astro site. And that's a ton of fun. So I'm hoping to launch that in the next couple of days, at least kind of the MVP version of that with new design and colors and that sort of stuff. So really excited about that. So you can check it out at some point at jamesqquick.com. Yeah, I've seen like some few screenshots of it. I think Mm -hmm. it's going to be amazing. The hero section is just amazing. I get to use my new selfie picture, which Mm -hmm. I really like, especially like being Mm -hmm. a content creator. I feel like it It is very fitting for me. So... I really love that picture. If people haven't been to my Twitter profile, for example, and see my new picture, you can go and see that there for what it's worth. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, Kelvin, thank you for joining. Super good to learn more about Trouble because I've like known about it from you joining for a few months now since you joined. 
but I haven't had mm-hmm. the time to kind of learn a little bit more. So thank you for coming and joining us, telling us a little bit about it, talking to us about shipping less JavaScript, as we both agree that that's probably going to be a trend going forward. So thanks anyway for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Cool. Thanks everyone for watching and listening. If you're listening to the podcast version of this, please leave a rating and review to help other people find the podcast so we can continue to have on amazing guests and talk about fun stuff and web development and design with a little bit of zest. In the meantime, that's all we got.